You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take the Bible, if you will, your copy of God's Word and find the Gospel of John. The 16th chapter, we looked at in our Bible time all week, uh, different characteristics of, of John and the, the truth of the gospel through uh, John's gospel. Most of the time we were in John's gospel looking at Jesus, his, his care for us, uh, his, his love for us, this idea that we can have hope, um, this idea that we can have joy. And then we looked at, we kind of mixed things up a little bit and did the Wednesday night on the Friday night. And this idea that we can believe uh, in, in Christ and what true belief uh, in Christ is. And so I spent all week, and, and um, we've done things a little bit different the last couple of years. Um, very rarely do we get an opportunity as staff, Pastor Matt and I, to really teach the, the younger children. Matt is usually teaching the, the, the youth and, and uh, Wednesday night in Sunday school, and I'm usually teaching adults and preaching congregationally. So the last couple of years, Matt and I have divided up and been teaching the children. And so um, Matt, uh, being the families and, and youth pastor, I guess he got to decide who, who he got to teach. So I got with the kindergarten and second grader. You imagine how much fun I had with kindergartners and second graders uh, teaching about the Lord, the I shared with somebody this week, uh, last year was my first year doing that. Well, kindergartners and second graders are not an adult. And so I got up there in 15 minutes, expounded the word, and said, all right, what do you think? Still had 20 minutes left to go. And so uh, so today we're going to get up and play a game for the first 15, 15 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the point is this. As I was with those kids all week, I kept praying Jesus is personal. It's a personal thing. These kids need to know that this is not some historical Jesus person that's just a historical religious person, that, that my desire is these kids can know Jesus on a personal level of what, what God sent him to do, why we need Jesus to love and the care and this joy and this hope and this love and this belief. What does all this matter? To, to take sin on a, on a personal level so that these kids could understand the seriousness of their sin and why that sin grieves a holy and a righteous God. And because of that sin and God's holiness, that that sin must be dealt with because of who God is. But yet in his love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what they could never do and pay for that sin. And so Jesus Christ could because he cares and, and we place our hope in him. And he died on that cross and he, he 
paid the penalty for that sin and he rose again and he conquered death and damnation and, and what it means to be bound by that sin and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he, he sent the Holy Spirit and that's where we have that hope just as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead that we learned that we too have newness of life. So that was all week what we were talking about. And then all week I'm looking at this text and oh, it fits together wonderfully. Look at you, Will, in John chapter 16. We're, we're closing out this passage of Scripture in John chapter 16. Jesus, and, and where I'm going with it, Jesus made this very personal. He's getting near to his ministry that he had been called to at this point in, in just a couple of chapters and literally in the eyes of the Lord, in just a couple of hours, he is dying on a cross. And he is wanting the disciples to know who he is and what that means for them. See, vacation Bible school isn't just gathering kids together. Hey, who believes in Jesus? Hey, adults, who believes in Jesus? It's so much more than that. Hey, kids, who believes in who Jesus is and what he has done and what that means to our life? Hey, adults, who, who believes in who Jesus is and, and where he came from and, and who sent him and what he did and how it changes our life? You know, as an adult, Jesus shouldn't be some vacation Bible school memory from 30 or 40, some of us 70, 80 years ago. Jesus is a real person that died on a real cross for our real sin that we may really know him and love him and follow after him. And here in these verses, we see the heart of Christ encouraging the disciples to understand. In a few hours, disciples, you are going to experience true sorrow. But that sorrow is going to turn to joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning the truthfulness of it, the penetrating power of it, and the means by which it we have it. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 16, Jesus is in the upper room. He's making his way to the, literally making his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He has reminded the disciples of who he is to them in John chapter 15 and, and their relationship they need to have with him. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, he talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches. And it talks about their relationship with, with him and being part of the vine. He, he moved forward in John chapter 15 and began to talk about that there will be some tough days ahead. And I say these things so that you will not fall away. And then he begins to talk about this idea that I am going to go away, but as I do go away, I'm going to send a helper. And what he is doing is he is laying the foundation. He is saying, okay, as you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. The world is going to hate you. And then he says, but I'm going to go away. And as I go away, there's going to be great sorrow. But I have to go away so that ultimately you may have true joy. And the disciples did not understand this. There's many reasons why they didn't understand. They didn't understand it. They didn't have the, the Holy Spirit yet. He, didn't been, he hadn't died on the cross yet. But the disciples were wrestling with this because they could not understand. 
And so here in these verses, what we see in just a few hours is the cross. And he shares with them that there's going to be something that happens that must happen. But it's going to happen for you. It's going to happen for you and it's going to be something that you may not understand. But it will bring great joy. Look at verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will not see me. And some of the disciples said to him, what is that that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus has said, a little while you will not see me, then you will see me. The disciples said, well, what, what does this mean? So they were saying, what does he mean for a little while? What is, we do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he He said to them, this is what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me. So he explains it in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. And that sounds kind of peculiar, but we'll get to that in a moment. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the name of the Father, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. And notice these last few verses. That's, these last few verses are worthy of underlining to remember. That your joy may be full. And the darkest hours and the darkest moments that these disciples probably will ever encounter, just the anguish and the sorrow and the despair that they are going to witness, Jesus says that as you witness these things, then and only then later may your joy be full. I wonder how many of us here this morning cannot say that your joy is full. Well, it could be the day that your joy is not full because you have not seen the true sorrow of your sin and the sorrow that leads to joy in what Christ did for that sin. Well, let's look at the text. Let's look at it and divide it up into two parts. One, this idea that Jesus is leaving, verses 16 through 19. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has talked about leaving or his coming and his going. Throughout the book of John, he is constantly standing before the religious leaders and he's telling them about this idea of who I am, who sent me, what I came to do, and what it means for you. You can, you can look at those things throughout John's gospel. Whenever he is standing and talking, he is saying, this is who I am. This is who sent me. This is what I came to do. This is what it means to you. That's also true today. 
Truly understanding who Christ is. That word truly is very significant. Understanding really, truly, biblically who Jesus is, who sent him, what he came to do, and what that means to us. Constantly throughout John, he has been doing that. But also in doing that, he has also been saying to them, but I must leave. I have come to do something, but this is not what I've come to do. See, that's what Judas had a problem with. Judas loved that Jesus came, but Judas didn't want Jesus to leave. Judas came, Jesus, in Judas' eyes, Jesus came. Jesus came to be a, a political military leader that Judas was going to be in charge of the treasury of. And so as Jesus came and never left, as Jesus came, he was going to conquer the Romans and he was going to set Jerusalem free and he was going to reign in Jerusalem as King Jesus and he would be like a king over an empire and he would have the, the money and the power and the rule of that country and there would be Judas right beside him. But see, Judas could not see Jesus for who he was. Jesus had to leave. Because Jesus and Isaiah teaches us, and Judas should have known this, he was a suffering servant. And that he was instituting a new covenant, not a military ruler. And so it is very important to understand that Jesus did have to leave because without him leaving, Jesus would not have been Jesus. Notice, notice in different parts in John, I'm going to read these kind of quickly. You can always follow online and, and you've got these notes and they're with you. But notice in John chapter 7, he is standing at the Feast of the Booths. It's a, it's a public worship service of the Jewish festival of the Booths. John chapter 7, verse 33, Jesus said to them, I will be with you only a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. See, we're talking about him who sent me, the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus is not a way, Jesus is the way. He told that to the Pharisees. They didn't believe it. Our world today doesn't believe it. Jesus is the way. He is God in the flesh. I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. We go from an earthly ruler to a divine ruler. What Christ is saying here, I must leave. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greek? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Questioning who Christ was and what he came to do and what he had to do to accomplish what he came to do. Again, in a public setting, John chapter 12, verses 32 through 36. I love this. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men and peoples to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I can't help but imagine that Judas would have been sitting there going, do what now? Die? We're going to rule. Jesus isn't going to die. We're going to, we're going to rule. See, he, he created Jesus in his own image, like a lot of us do. We create Christianity into our image. What, did, what can Christianity do for me? And, and, and I'll, I'll do this Jesus thing if it fits what I want it to accomplish. And we're totally missing where true joy is. True joy is letting Jesus be who Jesus is 
and the gospel be what the gospel is. So the crowd answered him and said, we have heard the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Public, he is saying, this is temporary. What you see right here is temporary. I have got to leave to accomplish the will of the Father. John 13, the upper room, washing the disciples' feet. Notice there in John 13, verse 31, when he had gone out, that he being Judas, I think that's a, a significant turn of events. As Judas walked out, he looked at his true disciples. He looked at his true followers. And notice what he says in John 13. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. I mean, think about that statement. He knew that Judas was going to the, the religious leaders and the priests to betray him to turn him in so that he could be arrested like that wasn't God's plan. And notice he said, my arrest, my beating, my crucifixion will bring glory and honor to God. Now the Son of Man may be glorified. Now, notice what it says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. In a way that Christ does throughout so many of the Gospels, he continues to lay out that information over and over. I am leaving, I am leaving, I am leaving. John 14, 18 and 19, still to the disciples. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So now we see, I am leaving, but I'm going to come again. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I I live, you will live also. He has to leave so that they may have joy. So one, he, he has to leave. He has to leave. There is no Christ without the cross. There is no salvation without sin being dealt with. There is no joy without sorrow. Verses 20 and following. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, you will lament, but the world will rejoice. We read earlier about the sorrow. Here we see again in verse 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Now think about the life of the disciples here. They, they have no idea what he's talking about. So can you imagine walking with Christ during this time and hearing him say that and then the, the hours that follow this, his arrest, his, his trial, his mockery, his beating, his crucifixion. Can you imagine the agony that they faced? Could you imagine seeing all that Christ went through for them? Can you? I can 
go back like it was yesterday watching the, the, uh, the Passion, Mel Gibson's. You remember the beatings? I mean, I remember just sitting there wanting to just stand up and say, stop hitting him. Just the, the beatings and the anguish and, and what Christ in the flesh went through so that we may have life. He gives an illustration of this. Notice what he gives an illustration. I, when I read that, it, it's, it's so funny. Anybody that's been involved with this, read it. Giving birth to a child. I can go back to my experience with sharing giving birth to a child, and I was there. You can go back hours and hours and hours and hours of labor and all that was going on, and then that precious little child comes out, and what happens? The first thing they do, they, they take that little baby up, and they plop it on mom's little chest, and everything's just, oh. And it's like all that you went through for that, that split second is just gone. You think about all that we've gone through and that result. Don't miss the, the love of Christ and what I think he would have been going through as he was sharing this message with those disciples. He knew what he was about to face, but he knew he would face it for their joy. You know, one of the things that really does upset me in our world today is how we've taken Christianity just like a, a hobby or like a, a political party or something. You know, well, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm an independent, oh, I'm a Christian. Could you imagine telling the disciples that? Could you imagine, I always think about things, I, my mind is always racing toward neat stuff. Could you imagine if the disciples were around right now and they were trying to... Could you imagine the disciples being over the discipleship ministry at this church? What that would look like? And they would sit there and tell you, the Jesus that I knew, he lived and he died a horrendous and a painful and an agonizing death so that I may have life. And they would look out into our midst and say, it is an honor and a privilege to live my life for my Savior. See, we've taken Christianity and we've turned it into some convenient thing that we work in whenever we have time. Jesus says, I am giving my life so that you may have life. There's going to be lamenting and, and weeping and there's going to be great sorrow. And he says, listen, I am going. I must leave. These things must happen, but these things must happen so that your joy may be full. So we have us leaving. We've looked at sorrow. Now let's look at joy. If we look there in verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, we give that example, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. I think there are four key things we need to look at when we see joy. But I'm going to tell you, I know what joy means. I know what joy feels like to be experienced as a Christian. 
I also know what joy, not having joy, feels like being experienced as a person. So I know the difference. So I often tell people, I'm not perfect, but I know you're not fooling me. I'm not Jesus. I am John the Baptist. You're not fooling me. Because I know what joy looks like. And when you have joy, you can't, you can't hide it. And when you have joy that is full, you kind of just spill all over people all the time too. And I'm telling you that we live in a day and age to where people are not full of the joy about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the problem is we have not embraced the sorrow that is necessary that leads to this joy. We want to get to the joy first. You just have joy in the Lord and believe in the Lord and all great things happen. Go and do all things. Joy, joy, joy. Be positive, be positive. Well, no, there's got to be sorrow before joy. The first word is pain. Look right there in verse 21. When the woman is giving birth, she's sorrow. There's this great pain. There's pain before birth. There are the things that take place in a body that is unimaginable. I know why women have children because man could never do it. We'd wimp out about that first trimester. And Jesus says, now I want you to look at the cross. I want you to look at pain. That is the penalty that was necessary for our sin. See, sin is a big deal. We got discussing in Sunday school. I was helping teach a Sunday school class this morning. and We were talking about assurance of salvation. And, you know, the, you hear somebody say, well, they were a believer. It happened a long time ago. They did something, but there was no, no life change. Well, let me, let me just say this. Without life change, it, it, it's not salvation. Just the word itself, there's no, there's no salvation. You may say that you're a Christian, but unless you've been born again, unless there's life change from a it's not really salvation. And I think the reason why so many people intellectually are saying, well, I'm a believer. I've only met a handful of people, maybe two, maybe one, that's told me they thought they were an unbeliever and they, they're not worried about going to hell because they don't believe in it. I mean, I could have walked around Walmart with my Tim Tebow mannequin and, and, and my buggy and done a survey of how many people think they're going to heaven. Here's the issue. So this is what came up in Sunday school. Here's the issue about salvation. Sin is the issue. Okay, the cross is the issue. The, it's covered. The cross is the issue. What did Jesus do on the cross? I mean, it's not a pretty picture. Okay, think back to the picture of Christ on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet and, and, and a, a crown of thorns mashed in his head and beaten and pierced. That is the ugliness and the necessary of the holiness of God dealing with sin. Sin must be dealt with. I tell people, I have people all the time come to me and say, Pastor, I, I don't know if I ever really, when did I get saved? I don't know when I got saved. I don't know if I have assurance of salvation. I did something years ago, but I don't think I'm really saved. Here's the issue. Sin is the issue. Did you come to Christ over your sin? That's the issue. That's why Jesus went to the cross. 
There's no such thing as a, a crossless Christianity. I'm grateful that Jesus Christ went to the cross over my sin because I could never pay that debt. But only Jesus could. And so when we think about our salvation and grace, grace ought to make us weep over what Christ did for us. Think about the words we looked at at Vega Bible School. We ought to weep over the care of Christ, weep over the hope of Christ, weep over the joy in Christ, weep over the love of Christ, weep over that we can believe in Christ, that he did that for our sin. He did that. And my sin was the issue. For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. But God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him may have eternal life. That sin is ugly. I'll tell you right now, your sin is horrendous in the eyes of God. It is so horrendous that he took his only begotten son and he nailed him to the cross for you and your sin. That's why I get so fired up in our world today and we start talking about God and Christianity and we make light of it and you Christians and you're Jesus. I'm telling you what, that came with a heavy cost when he gave his life on that cross. Sin is not to be taken lightly. And if you did not come to Jesus Christ over your sin, you need to do so and be saved. Sin means different things. I'll be the first to admit when you're a young child and, and, and sin means something to you. Sin is anything we do that we know God doesn't want us to do and we do anyway. You can be a small child and understand that you're a sinner and be gloriously saved. A lot of time as an adult when we don't walk in holiness and fear of the Lord and we live into the world, we are so eat up with sin we can't even recognize anymore. And sometimes when an adult comes to Christ, they understand what that sin is all about and there's more of an external brokenness over it. We don't have to be eternally broken like that to know that we're saved but whether we're 5 or 25 or 85 sin is the issue of your salvation that is the penalty that must be paid when we stand before a holy God in the day of judgment your sin there's not enough good in any of us to pay that price before we have joy there's great sorrow and much pain but see it doesn't stop there that's what makes the gospel so wonderful notice verse there verse 22 and beginning of verse 23 so also you have sorrow now but i will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you no one will take your joy from you in that day you will ask of me ask nothing of me second word presence the reason we have joy is because of that pain but notice what it says your sorrow will turn to joy I will see you again in this text this is already not yet tension that's already taking place here, but not yet fully realized. I will see you again there. We could look at that one day for us here. I will not see Jesus again, but I will see him again one day. Yes, there's been much pain. Yes, and much sorrow over sin, but he has paid the price for that sin. And the moment that I've dealt with, I come into his presence. 
Can you imagine the disciples, what happened? He, was, he died on the cross. The tomb is empty. They run out to see him. They, they can't find him. They're in the upper room. They're milling around, praying and agonizing and weeping in anguish. And all of a sudden, through the door, Jesus just appears. He didn't, he didn't even say he opened the door. He just walked through the wall. We talked about that the other night in Bible study. By the way, kids get more excited about when the gospel is proclaimed than y'all do. I just thought I'd throw that out there. He walked through the wall and he looked at them and he goes, Peace be with you. Can you imagine? Here I go, John's little world he lives in. Can you imagine sitting there when that happened? Good gracious. I mean, could you imagine watching Jesus die that way and seeing him arrested and remember these words and all of a sudden he just appeared and he goes, peace be with you. His presence. The moment that we are saved, we had the presence of Christ in our life. See, that's what if you, if you think about that joy, sometimes we, sometimes, you ever notice sometimes preachers, we preach angry? I apologize for that. You know, it's like we're mad. Who made him mad? Sharon make him mad. I didn't get my Father's Day breakfast this morning. I'm just going to come up here and be mad. I didn't get my pancakes. Like we're mad. You don't believe in Jesus, you need to let your, listen, this is not about, the world, the gospel doesn't make people mad. I'm astonished. It doesn't make me mad when I, that so many thousands of people say they know Jesus and they're not living like they know Jesus. That doesn't make me mad. I'm absolutely astonished. I don't understand it. <laughs> could you imagine, could you imagine Peter sitting in that upper room? Peace be unto you. Yeah, whatever. No big deal. You imagine him living the rest of his life in John 21 when he jumped out of the boat and he swam to the seashore and Jesus said, Peter, I love you, feed my sheep. Peter, I love you, feed my sheep. Ah, no big deal. You imagine him living the rest of his life saying, yeah, I know that Jesus guy. I'm a, I'm, I believe in Jesus. He, yeah, I know him. No, no. See, his life was radically changed because he knew that he had Christ in him. When the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 and it filled them. That's the same thing that happened to us. We all get nervous. Some of us Baptists get kind of nervous when we see Acts chapter 2. You know why that makes us nervous? Because that hadn't had that effect on us. So it can't be right. Now, Pastor, <laughs> you don't really expect us to get that excited about being a Christian. That was back then. No, the, the same Spirit that came into the life of the church and they change the world, it's the same spirit that comes into us when we are saved. So if that same spirit is in you that was in those disciples, and those disciples live this way, and the general public lives this way, what is that either saying about the spirit or the disciples? And that leads us to the third idea of what this joy looks like. And that day you'll... You'll ask me nothing. I forgot about that. It's, it's one of my little favorite spots. 
I read that thing. That day you will ask me nothing of me. This is good. You know why they were going to ask him nothing? They don't need to ask him nothing. They don't have any more questions. They don't need any more proof. They don't need any more parables. They don't need any more statements. They don't need to do anything. They don't need to ask Jesus any more questions because they know that Jesus Christ is with them and in them and the presence of God is with them. You're not going to have to ask me. I won't have to explain anything else to you because when the Spirit of God falls upon you, you're going to know me. You're going to know who sent me. You're going to know who I am. You're going to know why I came. You're going to know what that means to me. You're not going to ask any more questions. It's like when somebody becomes saved. You don't ask any more questions because you know what you need to do. You know what needs to be done, and you've got to do it. Then we see his provision. We have his pain, his presence, provision. Whatever you ask in Jesus' name, the Father will provide. Why does that make us so nervous? That's the truth. Whatever we ask in Jesus' name, God will provide. Let me say that the way it's not written. Whatever you ask in your name, God's going to give you. God, I want. God, I want. God, I need. I prayed all week, Lord, let the boys win the offering. Let the boys win the offering. Let the boys win the offering. He said, I'll let you do it for two days and then I'm going to drop the hammer on the girls and I'm going to convict them and they're going to start giving. But in your losing, you've got these girls rallied around this thing, so in your losing, we're going to give toward, toward missions. So I humbled myself and rode around with my old buddy Tebow all week, all day, that day. Lord, this is what I need. Lord, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, do you know how many people, this is going to be astonishing to you, do you know how many people come to me and ask me to pray for something that's not even biblical? They'll ask me to pray for something that I already know what the answer is. Does that make sense? Like, I'm already doing something I don't need to do, okay? I'm already doing something I don't need to do, and then we're going to ask the Lord to bless it. Well, where's this? That doesn't make any sense. Lord, I got a test coming up. I hadn't studied it all. Give me a good grade. No, I'm not answering that prayer. I remember being in seminary and I was scared to death. First, first Old Testament test we took, we were scared to death. Everyone was scared to death. Dr. Lee coming in, so we're going to pray. Lord, give them all they've put into this test. I'm like, I didn't want that prayer. I wanted Jehovah Yahweh God to come down and give me an A. Lord, help me get out of trouble. Lord, give me this. Lord, you know I want this. You know, it's like, it's like when we're not seeking the Lord's guidance every day, and then all of a sudden we become these prayer people because we want something. God will answer every one of your prayers. You pray in Jesus' name because he's good. If you're praying in Jesus' name, you're praying in his name, and you're praying in his will. You start praying in Jesus' name, your want-tos change, and you get on his agenda, and God's always good about pleasing and doing for his agenda. You want true joy? You've got the, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got the presence of God in your life. And it says, I will provide everything you need in Jesus' name. 
Think about your career. Think about your future. I think about Peter. Peter was crucified upside down for the sake of Christ. And the day that he died, I bet he was singing Amazing Grace. And in his martyrdom for Jesus Christ, God gave him everything he needed. Can you imagine standing in line in heaven? There's going to be a preacher line in heaven. Did you know that? There are going to be preachers that have stood in this line. Lord, give me a bigger budget. Lord, give me a bigger church. Give me good people. Give me good this. Give me good that. And we're going to be so far back in that line. And Peter will probably be the first in that line. Hell, that was on little line. And all the missionaries that gave their life for Christ, they said, we didn't ask for anything but to be in God's will. And I think about all the prayers that went up in our, just take this congregation, all the prayers that probably went up this week for just stuff that we think we need instead of getting on our face and knees before the Lord and praying what God's desire for our life is. When we pray in Jesus' name, God gives it to us. But we got to get into Jesus' name and we got to know him. God says, I'll give you that. And then last, we'll close with this. Ask and you will receive. Have you ever thought that God wants to make our joy? That makes us a little bit nervous. The prosperity gospel is a lot of stuff you see on TV that you're never sick. And that if you give, you know, it's like me. I don't need a jet. Now, it's been on the news a jet. I do not need a jet. A helicopter wouldn't be bad. <laughs> Somebody that would fly it. I could take little trips back and forth to Louisville and be back in a day or two. But the prosperity gospel says if you give enough, God will bless that. You give a little bit of money, he's going to double bless that with money. If you give a little bit, if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. If you have enough faith, nothing will ever go wrong. If you have enough faith, everything will work out your way. That is a lie from the depths of hell. When you have enough faith, you'll understand the circumstances that you're in if you're praying and living in the name of Jesus Christ is right where God would have you. That's a big difference. So we're not praying for our happiness to be full. We're praising that our, praying that our joy will be full. At the end of the day, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is silly Pastor John on Monday and Tuesday when the boys win. Oh, kids love that. Kids love it. Don't, why do we lose that fun in that type of church? I say we start doing the offering, boys against girls. We're going we're gonna to line our budget up, boys against girls. We're going to start having some fun with it, all right? Starting this week, boys against girls in offering. Let's outgive God this week, amen? All right. Happiness is I got everything I need. Joy is Jesus is enough. Knowing who he is where he's from, what he came to do, and what that means to me, that is enough.
Because if I have enough of Jesus, then my future is going to be all right. If I have enough of Jesus, I'm going to be the best pastor I could ever be. If I have enough of Jesus in my life, I'm going to be the best husband I need to be, the great father I need to be. Fathers, you want to, it's Father's Day, but I'm going to tell you, fathers, you want to be a great father? Have the fullness of joy of Jesus Christ flowing out of your life. That is what your wife wants. That is what your children wants. That is what your family wants. And we have this fullness of joy. Everything just works out. I don't understand why the church is not full of joyful people. Y'all are about the most fickle bunch I've ever met in my life. It's like I, there are times I, go, I went home and told Sharon the other day. I said, I'm exhausted. She says, why are you so exhausted? I said, because if I don't do everything just right, everybody doesn't have their joy. I didn't talk to somebody. I did talk to somebody. I was too loud to somebody. I preached too long to somebody. I preached too short to somebody. I did this to somebody. I did that to somebody. And they're not happy. You know, that's a, joy is just joy. You either have it or you don't. Even though we may not feel like it, if we have the joy of the Lord, it is there. Monday, I had joy, the boys won. Tuesday, I had joy, the boys won. Wednesday, the girls won. Oh. Thursday, oh. Friday, oh, I'm not happy. I had more joy than I could ever imagine because I knew I could trick you girls into giving $800. Y'all are easy. Gosh, y'all are easy. Throw a little Tebow in there, y'all get thousands of dollars. I could say next year, I'll wear a Tebow hat if you give $10,000. Y'all be writing checks right now, post-dating them. Y'all are easy. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, guys, it's fixing to get real bad. I think he had sorrow. I think we see that in a few verses when he's weeping in the garden. Don't lose heart. Don't fall away. I'm sending a helper. You'll have these things. Don't focus on the world. Don't focus on that nail in my hand, that cross. Don't focus on the religious leaders. Don't focus on anything, disciples, but Jesus. Don't focus on me. Remember me, that in that pain, you're going to have that presence. And with that presence, you're going to have that provision. And with that provision, you're going to have, oh, such pleasure. But just focus on me. And we know from the rest of the New Testament, these guys and gals turned the world upside down because of Jesus. Boy, isn't it simple. But we make it so difficult. Let's stand as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you that you have told us that our sorrow could be full of joy. There's that already done. You've done that, Lord. You've done that to the disciples. You died on that cross for their sin. You sent them the Holy Spirit. You empowered them so they might know you, that they might see you, that they could live a life full of you. But you've also done it for us. So, Lord, as we even come to this point of our service tonight, let us know you and love you and follow after you. And as you lead us, let us follow. Because of that sorrow and our joy. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
as we sing, we're going to, we call this our, our, our hymn of.